0: Happy Tuesday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Airport Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest disaster movie ever made, the 1970 Universal Pictures movie, Airport. I am one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of tvdads.com. And I am host number two, Mark Cerulli of covertops.tv, and uh, we've got a foursome going on. We uh, are joined by the captain, the lovely Mrs. Nancy O'Kane, Hello, and everybody. also... The equally lovely uh, Chris Henry, the EA Programs Manager. Welcome back.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I've been called many things. Lovely is not one of them, so thank
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mark the date, then. Uh, we are we are here. Uh, Chris, the reason we had you on is to uh, pick your expertise on a rather uh, – what would actually be a little bit of a dry episode, uh, unless you're into <laughs> air traffic control and, uh, and, and things like that. We're watching uh, the descent of uh, – Transglobal, I guess, on a three to three degrees instead of a rather harrowing ninety degrees uh, <laughs> entry into uh, uh, Lincoln Approaches airspace. So uh, a lot of things going on. Starting with well, uh, Marcus Rathbone is recuperating from getting slapped by uh, by Father Lonigan on the other side of the aisle, and then we're back with uh, with Frank at Lincoln Approach. So uh, Frank, there is uh, now th- he's introduced as uh, as Lincoln Approach. So I'm, I'm assuming that. There's, there's an order and uh, a hierarchy of who handles things at different points. This is He's just been handed off from uh, Chicago uh, Center.
1: Right, yeah. So how that would work is that the center, uh, think of it this way, the center is who has you for the long duration of your flights. Uh, you'll pass through a few different centers. Uh, those are the guys that are doing the long haul. You're not taking off and landing or switching really a, a lot of frequencies with centers unless you're bouncing between two different ones. So, mainly, they're the ones that have you when you're up in altitude. Uh, once uh, you get near your destination airport, usually about 30 nautical miles, somewhere right around there, just de- depends on which airport, but usually around 30 nautical miles, you'll get switched off to uh, approach. And approach control is a, a radar room in the tower, usually, of where you're heading. Uh, you know, you, you'd be going, uh, geez, I'm you're going to... You know Pittsburgh, and then you're, you know, going to get handed off the pit approach about 30 miles outside of Pittsburgh, and uh, they usually uh, would give you a heads up that you're coming, and the uh, controller at the destination airport would accept you, and then they start giving you vectors into their airspace and through their corridors. Think of, mm. think of a, uh, you know, being in a in a mall, and then there's these sort of connecting corridors to get you to the food court. You know, that's kind of how uh, airspace is kind of laid out where to go down these hallways, kind of, to get to the uh, to the uh, the downwind and then the approach for uh, for the airport, and uh, so that's that's what approach does. They basically get you lined up for the runway, and then they turn you over to the tower. Uh, okay. So approach does all the radar vectors to get you spaced out and everything like that into uh, you know a final approach sort of configuration.
0: Okay, so he right now where we're joining where we're joining the action. He's only eight miles in, and uh, he had previous uh, he had previously asked for. Uh, A PAR approach. This is uh, 1970, and he's asking for what uh, PAR, which is the kind of a dyslexic spelling of precision radar approach, where the people people on the ground are pointing him in. Uh, I was talking with a a Delta pilot who was uh, also a naval aviator, and he had told me that uh, it would be unlikely in 1970 to have a PAR in civilian um, on a civilian approach. Uh, That
1: was you're you're going into sort of strategic air commands, uh, ball game there that, that, uh, yeah, that would be kind of high tech for, for that. That, that. that is something that, uh, I don't think a lot of people had at that point. Okay. Uh, I mean, that, that's technology that we're using now. I mean, to give you, to give you some idea. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think there were, I think it was something maybe they had known about, uh, and they used it to film, but oh,
0: uh, okay. that would
1: be definitely more for military, uh, Military aircraft at that time period.
0: Yeah, he was saying that you know, the only time you'd hear about it would be like with the like naval aviators that are doing carrier landings, and and it would be involving like not just regular pilots, but people that had specific training on on taking the information in. And for, from what yeah. we're what we're seeing on here, as he's as he's giving him the different vectors, he's telling they're they're, they're trying to land on two nine er, but he's coming into the he's coming into the airport at two eight five. And then he tells them to uh, uh, to turn right uh, to two nine or five, and he's approaching the glide path. Which is, uh, if you want to, if you want to talk a little bit more about like ILS and how, how you're using a glide path to arrive on the sure. ground.
1: Sure. So your glide path, uh, more more up to date version of that is the glide slope. Uh, what you uh, do is you know that by following that glide slope, which an airport every airport has a published uh, approach for their runways, uh, if it's an IFR runway. If it's a runway that, that you can land that has an instrument approach to it, uh, it's a public, you actually can get it in a book or on file, uh, and it has all of this information. And you can make different types of approaches. You can make, like, a GPS approach. You can make a an ILS. So uh, an ILS approach, uh, basically what you get is you get a glide slope. So once you pick up that glide slope, you know that as long as you stay on the glide slope, uh you're not going to hit anything that glide slope is published that you know it's out there and it will actually it'll take you right to the end of the runway you you don't have to worry about an obstruction as long as you stay on that altitude there's altitudes published along the way like a final approach fix and everything that says you know don't cross you know don't descend below this altitude on the glide slope and there's an instrument in the aircraft you can actually you're, you're using to follow this this glide this imaginary beam into the end of the runway. And, and is the uh, pilot doing all this, or is it kind of like an autopilot situation? Oh no, uh, it would be. I mean, it would be the pilot. I mean, by t- today's aircraft, a lot of them do have uh, a, an autopilot that would follow the glide slope. Uh, but at this point, I don't know if that would have existed yet or not. I,
0: yeah, uh, so th- I mean,
1: Those guys are definitely th- hand flying this.
0: these what we're talking about is cat approaches right i mean like cat three
1: and stuff yeah exactly depending on yeah cat one cat two cat three and then it's you know that that uh and then of course like i said it has to do with what type of approach what what type of instrument system do you want to use for the landing you can use uh you know runway three six might have three different types of approaches you can make to the runway uh whether you're going to use a gps uh you know an ils or you know whatever you want to use uh uh, but, yeah, there's definitely – there's multiple types of approaches for even the same runway. Uh, just depends on what type of air, you know, equipment you have on your aircraft.
0: Now, is, is there also – if you're doing this visually, can you also um, – can you watch the glide slope out the window, like the way that uh, – I, mean, I know in carrier landings, they have the Fresnel lenses that tell you whether you're too high or too low, telling you by, by that, seeing whether the lights turn <laughs> red or right.
1: That certainly exists on the end of a runway. Uh, the only thing is, you know, of course call it the meatball, but, uh, the, uh, you know, the only thing is, is once you have that in sight, if you're shooting an ILS approach and then suddenly you have that in sight, it's not going to be very long before you have the runway environment in sight. Uh, you're going to see that, you're going to see the runway lights, you're going to see taxiway lights. And then at that point, you know, you, you kind of have it, you know, you kind of have it. I mean, so, uh, you know you're you those lights are v- pretty much you're on you're on final approach when you see those lights you're on a you know you're on a mile mile and a half two mile final at the, at the sh- closest end where you're seeing those yeah so they're, uh, and, and they're usable so yeah you're you're pretty you're just about to the end of the runway when you're using those wow
0: now the uh uh on uh when you when you're getting information about uh, about things like uh uh wind and how how does how does this affect you like like in this particular one uh the approach is telling him that the wind is 300 degrees gusting to 35 uh yeah. well
1: what you uh what you want to do is you want to keep updating uh with anything you think could throw them off i mean they're they're still hand flying the airplane you you want them to know what the conditions are like on the surface which is where that reading is coming from uh, you know, so if you're getting wind gust at the surface of 35 uh, knots, which is pretty significant, uh, you know, you want to let them know. You want to let them know, get tighten up the seatbelts, uh, you know, hang on to, to something in there, and uh, you know, it's going to be a little bumpy. You want to be ready for. It. I mean, it's not going to, you know, 35 knot wind isn't going to blow you over in, in something like a, you know, a jet airliner. But if you're flying a Piper Cub or a Piper Cherokee, that's going to be pretty significant, you know. But but uh, the big deal there is the gusts. Because, you know, if you're flying in and it's, you know, the wind's blowing at 20 knots steady, not a big deal. But if suddenly your, your, your wind gusts are, you know, the, the winds are at, you know, 20 knots and then suddenly they gust to 13 or they gust 15 extra you know, knots uh, up to 35 and you're trying to line up on a runway, you know, that's, uh, that's a significant bump. I mean, and it happens right now if you've ever flown a light plane. You just get a little wind gust. It's enough to to blow you off course of the runway uh, pretty easy. So, um, so the whole point of that is is you're, you're going to keep calling out air speeds as these guys are coming down. Wind speeds, you know, you want to keep uh, letting them know that hey, we just had another gust. You know, and more information the better. You can even tell them, you know, you don't need to respond. You can just click the mic. Uh, they have a mic in the, in, on the yoke, and you, they can just click it twice. That means they acknowledge. Yeah. And uh, you know, and that that's as a matter of fact, especially in an emergency, that's what you would do. Just you know, don't feel you have to acknowledge. Just click the mic and and uh, go from there. Which I believe that's actually that,
0: that's, they say, that's so. what they say. That's what they say. There, you don't have to acknowledge the further transmissions. Uh, yes, and yeah. so uh, and and that that is generally the sign of a of a professional versus the uh, the the general aviation folks. From at least what I've seen is that the the ATC people are always getting like way too much information from the GA people, and the pros are like, <laughs> "Good day," and that's about it, and they are just. Uh, uh, Trying to, it, it, they don't need to keep passing information back and forth.
1: Yeah, a lot of times, especially uh, you know, well, you know, in an emergency situation, everything goes out the window.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, everything you were trained for kicks in as a controller. Um, but as far as you know what the norm is, it's all out the window because you know you're going to get uh, uh, you know there you can't you just can't train for everything, and sometimes you'll get a guy that just. I mean, they're panicked, they're chatty, and they're, they feel that, you know, they have to, to, to be talking. And, you know, one of the big things they always say, put down the microphone and fly the airplane.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, and that's uh, you know, it's a very true statement. You know, uh, uh, minim- if you can minimize the, uh, you know, the, the conversation for these guys, uh, and when you do talk to them, make it count. You know, make sure you're giving them information they need. And, you know, try to be reassuring. You want them to sound that, you know, you're home. This is going to be okay, and you want to try to,
0: you know, yeah. give them
1: some uh, some sense that, that that things are going to work out. So you try to help that out.
0: You got to be a little bit of a therapist then, while you're, but but in as few words oh. as possible. So a little bit, yeah. You know, and like, uh, excuse me, is there anyone who knows how to fly this plane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you
1: know, my my favorite uh, line from an airplane was always, uh, me. you know, when he's like, have them land in the uh, landed the. Uh, you know, or, or no, he's like, striker. have you ever flown a multi-engine plane before? And, and he's like, no. And he's like, oh, it's hopeless. He's got the mic key <laughs> yeah, in these yeah, pockets. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> know? It's just the complete opposite of what you'd oh, want my, to do. You you just aim <laughs> him out
0: to the sea so he
1: doesn't hit anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That <laughs> he, He'll avoid killing innocent people, you know. And, uh, so, yeah, that's, um, you know. But, yeah, you want to, you for lack of a better term, especially, you know, depending on what type of facility you're at, you're, you're in this with these guys. You have suddenly become... Uh, Enthralled it. I, I mean, would. You...
0: I would. I would think that you know all the, the discussion in this. There's so many, so many discussions about compass points and knowing. You know, I mean, just they're generally heading northwest. But I would imagine that if you're doing this every day, you must have a really big gyroscope in your head to be thinking, okay, they're <laughs> yeah. going to be, and you can do like the the, the complement of any number, like you say, okay, it's two nine this way. So what, minus do you minus 180. Yeah. <laughs> I,
1: would... I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I just knew. Uh... When I went to the tower, I mean, we do. I, I knew where north was, and I knew we. Our runways all have, you know, runway headings on them, so that kind of helped you out as far as you know, you have the compass heading for the airport and where these guys were. And I used my reference point. I mean, it was the runway that was, uh, you know, in relationship to where everybody was. That's just what I used. And yeah. how uh, really stressful was that, was, that uh, job? Uh, as a controller? Yeah. Uh, you know, on the nice days uh when it's sunny and uh nothing's going wrong, and you know there's you know you you know you can have five six airplanes at once and it it's fun i mean it, it's the best game you'll ever play, and' you don't have to bring quarters i mean it's it's just <laughs> it's, it's it's great you know the uh to me the most stress i've ever had the most stress uh were emergencies which believe it or not i i almost kind of enjoyed uh once they were <laughs> over because you got your adrenaline pumping you you know, you felt that you were going to get these guys through. You knew you were the best in the business, or you wouldn't step up those uh, steps into the cab. I mean, you knew you were the best controller there was, um, wow. and I, you enjoyed it. Now, the the but the most stress I ever had in normal operations, outside of uh, of anything, was winter operations, and that was when you had personnel on the runways, you had s- trucks, snow plows, you know, uh, people trying to to, to fall out the runway, and then you had instrument approaches coming in. <laughs> So Approach would call us and say, hey, there, you know, you've got a, you know, a Lear coming in or a Citation or whatever. And you had to time it so that you could get all the trucks clear of the runway and then get the jet in and then get the trucks back out on the runway and continue plowing the snow. Uh, And my biggest fear was always that I was going to leave somebody out on that runway. I mean, that's.
0: Landing at that uh, with a conga line. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you're. That, to, in my opinion, that is when I would go home on those nights. I would, I would have a beer, <laughs> you know, beer, uh, just <laughs> celebrate that that you know, uh, you know, it all went well. But to me, in Jeez. my opinion, and I'm sure other guys, you know, you go to Laguardia or something, it's a lot different. But uh, in my career, that was the most uh, nerve wracking for me was when I had personnel on the runways. That was that was you always had to be a little extra careful those days.
0: Uh-oh. Oh, offhand, do you know what the what the busiest uh center is i would think that it would be i think it's n95 the one that that handles all of new york the uh oh yeah i i have
1: i have no doubt it's out in new york those guys are those guys are crazy i
0: I can't yeah i can't imagine just going into work and saying by the way we've got all these gigantic planes they're heading all over the world and they're all wanting to take off at the same time and they're heading toward each other there's a
1: yeah yeah uh, and you've got to sort it out you know and you've got three of the busiest airports in the country right right next to each other, right in each other's backyard, so that if one airport r- changes runways, the other two have to change their runways as well.
0: Yeah.
1: Just, and uh, yeah, wow. just a, oh, yeah, <laughs> I would not want to work there. So, uh, but you know what though, I, I'm sure that if you talk to the guys that work there, you know they love it. Um, I mean that, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's never a dull know. moment. I would think. I mean, it's just. And how long does somebody last? On on a gig and say at say JFK, do they put in twenty five years or is it like ten and oh, they're done or?
1: You know I I I would say that man I'll tell you what I mean I think those guys uh I think you I bet you put in about ten fifteen years and then you look for somewhere uh, to retire to mm. you know a little nicer a little warmer I'm sure there's guys that they're hardcore New York I mean that's uh, that's where they're gonna stay and. You know they pushed in there until they're ready to retire and uh the guys who trained me for my job did that in chicago o'hare they were wow. uh you know and, and they were they were the best in the business i mean they were uh, uh good guys i mean they they had been there and done that and they spent their career at o'hare and uh they were kind of getting ready to retire and came over to to indiana and uh worked uh you know, smart class D airport. And is
0: it, is it like, you know, like, like baseball where they have a farm league where you say you start out in some place like, uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and then you move out to, you know, they, they move you up into uh now you're going to do Cincinnati. Well, you're going to do
1: how they do it is by regions. Uh, when you get ready, when you get ready, well, when you graduate ATC school or you get hired by the FAA, uh, they ask you what region you want to go to. And you can go to the great lakes or, you know East Coast, wherever you want to go, and uh, when they give you uh, your assignment you know you pick the region they pick the airport, so you don't really pick like you know and then you pick the type of controlling you want to do do you want to be in a center do you want to be in a tower radar room uh, you pick those, but you don't pick the airport and they assign you an airport so yeah. you know, you could say like yeah, hey, I want to be on the East coast and they're like, okay, I' go going to Laguardia you know and but there is no farm league. you don't start out in a small airport. Uh, they write wow. the it big so, one out that said, you know let's say you're gonna go to LaGuardia. well, you know they have simulators and stuff like that there, and they have trainers, and you're gonna work quite a while with those before you ever touch a live airplane uh you know you're you're gonna work on site at the facility, but in the simulators and and uh and with the trainers, so they do train you up once you get to that facility. Um, because you can't, there's no way you could be expected to just show up and start doing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's seamless. I mean, every facility is, you know, like when I started out, I had, th- you know, my airport wasn't LaGuardia. I mean, it was a much less busy airport and I had 30 days, you have 30 days to check out, you know, to prove that you can control airplanes in this airspace. And, uh, you know, as long as you checked out between, yeah, you know, 30, I mean, they were pretty lenient. As long as you checked out probably within two months, you were fine. I checked out under 30 days and and uh, I was pushing ten by myself probably about a month and a half after I started.
0: Wow. wow. Just, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. I, I mean I, I, I couldn't imagine that you can I mean in that job you can't afford to be wrong once.
1: No. No, that's just it. You got to have a perfect score every day and uh <laughs> yeah. you know there's, there's yeah, no, I have two out of three where, yeah, yeah yeah.
0: Whatever yeah. they pay you it's not enough. Yeah, you, yeah it, it is. You 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 earned your money. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, and I, I would imagine that the Sims are like the uh, the closest thing I can think of is the. If you ever read the X Men comics, the Danger Room that like the the Sims are probably you're having hijackings and uh you know uh, engine failures and all kinds of things every single day, and you're you got to reroute them while <laughs> the a sim. snowstorm.
1: <laughs> they uh yeah they try to kill you in the Sims. <laughs> yeah. You know oh simulator and, oh
0: okay yeah, yeah
1: they they throw everything they can at you. Uh, you know, uh, heavy workloads, bad weather, or emergencies. Uh, You know, they that's where they try to really weed you out. And they, and in all fairness to school, they do that, too. Uh, my school had a washout rate, uh, meaning uh, about, I want to say about half the people that started out in school did not graduate. Wow. And, uh, you know, so you know, as you go through school and you see the numbers start to dwindle, uh, you know, you know, you know what's going on. They didn't make the cut into the... You know, and and it would always come after you got into a new section, like you know, radar or something. A couple weeks in, you know, you suddenly there'd be a few empty chairs, and uh, you know, it was. Uh, but there's no, you know, it's it's. You felt bad. I mean, because there were some nice people, but you there was nothing you could do. You had to keep going, and and uh, you know, because up there, you, it's that's it. I mean, if you if you can't if you can't do it up there, uh, that's a bad place to find out. Yeah. <laughs> you know and uh it's it, yeah, I'm very proud. I, i'm very proud of my of my past as a as a controller. I really enjoyed it
0: well, you should be i mean it's it's just amazing how many you know the thing is when people are sitting on a plane and they're you know n- nursing their second bloody mary and and staring <laughs> at the window and going gee, it's, i'm gonna be later and they don't they, they forget about it. there's so many people that are handing off these planes that are traveling at you know a fr- a major fraction of the speed of sound over oh, yes. you know yeah up in the sky yeah. and it's it's just such an amazing part of the infrastructure that the best thing is is that nobody ever hears about about it,
1: you know. And oh yeah, uh, and I think you know when, when there is a crash, uh, which oddly enough we're actually on the anniversary of a of a pretty significant crash, uh, back. Uh, geez, I I want to say back in the early seventies, a you uh, Eastern Flight four hundred one. Oh yeah. Uh, on this day, and uh, into the Everglades. Yeah. And, uh, oh
0: god, I vaguely remember that
1: yeah what happened yeah. was uh the, they had a landing gear light not come on, and they were trying to land and the landing gear light didn't come on well here all it was was a burned out bulb, however, it distracted the flight crew enough, they bumped the autopilot' cause they were they were messing around with this light bulb and they flew the thing right into the ground
0: yeah oh. and, uh, yeah it it was they, they were they were like in the there's a there was a work compartment or something in the in the yeah. cockpit, and some of them were like climbing down to look at what the problem was
1: yep. Yeah, oh, yep, yeah. exactly. And and in the process they bumped the controls and it kicked off the autopilot. And mm. uh they didn't realize it until like seconds before impact that uh you know, the autopilot had kicked off and was descending this whole time. So uh Yeah, there's you know there's no forgiveness <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, no. And, and, and
0: if I remember correctly that it, it kind of kicked off uh the financial problems for eastern airlines that the in settling yeah. lawsuits and things like that there was there were, there were tens of millions of dollars in lawsuits on that on that flight because it was it was really the fault of not having adequate training for the pilots and yeah, uh, yeah. and that that led to the demise of eastern
1: yeah um, oh, yeah that was and as a testament to his character. One of the new Eastern uh, uh, businessmen, one of the higher-ups, was actually out that night with the airboats in the Everglades uh, getting dirty, trying to rescue people out of the swamps. I mean, he went out there and did that. And that guy was Apollo 8 astronaut Frank Borman. Frank Borman,
0: Borman, yeah. yeah.
1: And he was actually out there performing. Think about this. A high-ranking executive from an airline is actually out there himself trying to rescue passengers. Uh, you know, I, I... I don't really think you'd see that much today, (laughs) you know, I mean, that's, that's almost one of those, it's almost worthy of being in this movie, you know, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, he, he, uh, Borman was an amazing guy, I mean, he was, he was responsible, he headed up the astronaut side of the Apollo 1 investigation, was actually, he he flew to the Cape to, to, to to oversee the bodies being removed from the, from the command module, I mean, he takes, he he took those things personally, and, you know, just a, a real testament to the guy's character um yeah yeah
1: but yeah it's it's definitely it was a stressful job um but like i said i'm 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 proud i did it um on the you know the 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 problem for me was the most fun i ever had is when kids would come for uh you know tours and stuff and i just love to try to get you know kids involved in this stuff and look you can do this and and uh, that's how I ended up at EAA. So yeah. uh, it was, uh, you know, I, I really feel it's important to help continue to grow aviation. But had I not taken that step, I just I, I could guarantee you I'd still be in that control tower.
0: How many of the ATC the ATC folks that you worked with? How many of them do you think held pilots' licenses as well?
1: Um, I know for I know at least uh, two others did. Uh, and then the two other guys were just straight up air traffic controllers. They were. Uh, they were not pilots. As a matter of fact, they were ex-military uh, air traffic controllers. So, oh, okay. uh, huh. yeah, but yeah, but I know two of the other guys were pilots.
0: Now, now I know that EAA has the uh, uh, the Eagle flights, the uh, th- th- to get young yes. people involved in them. Uh, are you are you involved in that at at EAA as well?
1: Absolutely. I I, I think we all are at some level. I mean, I uh, I certainly help arrange them. I've, I had taken some back in the day, uh, but now I help. Uh, I do help try to get young folks uh, up and flying. So. Uh, I, I really think that's something that we're proud of is that I think everybody at some level helps get some young kids interested in aviation and flying. So yeah. uh absolutely.
0: I know my, my son well my son flew because we were an American Airlines family, so we flew a lot, but his first time in a in a general aviation aircraft was uh, uh, an Eagle flight with uh an uh a Mooney. A fellow fellow had a uh it's an R V four I think, R M four. Um but took, oh, wow. took him up in a Mooney as his first flight and let him, you know, hold the stick and stuff. And he was enthralled by the whole thing. And it just, I, I mean, it's, it's a great program. And uh, it's, I, I wish more kids could get out to uh, general aviation fields and try this out on those days. It,
1: yeah. Uh, Same here. That's what we're trying to do. Keep, we keep fighting the good fight to get them uh, out interested and, you know, go up for a free airplane ride. And, uh, we do it every, every summer, er, uh, spring, summer, and fall, right out of the back of the museum here at EAA. We, we do young eagle flights and then in airports across the country. I mean, there's, you know, a good bit of uh young eagle volunteer pilots to do it. So, um, you know, it's one of those things I'm also proud to, to be where I am now. I'm very proud to be a associated with this organization. They're, they're, they're doing good things for the future of aviation, and that's, uh, you know, that was the whole reason to get me here from uh, from the control tower.
0: <laughs> well, that's great. Well, keep up the good work. I I, I do have to get up to Wisconsin. We've got a. I know Mark and I want to go to Oshkosh sometime. But. Yeah, yeah. I need some cheese.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we have that. Trust me. So come on out and see us. <laughs> awesome. Well,
0: well, well uh, for folks listening in, uh, check out the uh, the episode page here. I'll have a, a link to EAA so you can see all the wonderful things the organization does out there. Uh, also, for folks uh, wanting to get in touch with us on social media. We've got a lot of places to do it at Twitter on uh, airport minute. You can also go to uh, Facebook airport minute and the airport minute commanders club. Uh, and also our great big uh, site at airport com, where you can download all the previous episodes and get some cool swag too. So uh, check us out there online. Uh, again, Chris, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, I, I know it's kind of a short notice thing, but, uh, but you, Pulled through admirably. Thank you. Thank yeah, you again. So yeah.
1: So so no, hey. Happy to do it. Honored to get invited back. And anytime you need me, I'm happy to come on. Well, we'll give
0: you a holler. Well, thank, thank you very much again. Uh, for everybody else, please uh, join us again tomorrow. Where we're <laughs> we're going to see how how things are going on the on the glide slope and uh, where Dino is going to put her down. So uh, we'll see you here tomorrow on the airport minute. Until then, good day.
1: Good day, everybody. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Nice going, sweetheart. Remind me to send a thank you note to Mr. Bowling. Thank <laughs>